Chapter Twenty of Quiet Hints to Growing Preachers in My Study. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Marianne. Quiet Hints to Growing Preachers in My Study by Charles Edward Jefferson. Chapter Twenty. Meanness. A modern John the Baptist has condensed his message to his generation into the pungent exhortation, "Quit your meanness." It was the scribes and Pharisees, the religious leaders of their nation, upon whom the ancient John the Baptist laid his hand with heaviest pressure, and possibly a few of their successors now alive would receive no milder treatment at his hands if he, returning from the dead, should subject them to the sifting, searching fires of eternal righteousness. When a minister of the gospel has a disposition to be mean, he has unparalleled opportunities, and no other man is so shielded from rebuke. His ministerial brethren hesitate to reprimand him. His people mutter condemnations, but do not strike. How to reach a mean man when once entrenched in a pulpit is indeed a problem. Meanness is of diverse varieties and shadings. Sometimes it is rough, raw, boorishness. It is required in ministers that a man be found a gentleman, but the marks of gentle breeding are occasionally lacking. When a man seated in full view of an audience holds an animated conversation with his neighbor during the rendering of an anthem, or bustles from place to place attending to odds and ends of business when he ought to be listening to the solo, or fidgets and looks bored while another man is preaching, or holds up his watch and shuts it with a snap which sounds like a cannon shot to the man who has not yet finished his address, he shows a lack of thoughtfulness and refinement which brings a blush to the cheeks of those who like to see in ministers a resemblance to that supreme gentleman whose messengers they are. This disregard for the rights of others often takes appalling forms. There are ministers who have no conscience in their treatment of the men who follow them on the program. If given a chance to speak first, they take all the time there is, leaving those who come after them the raveled fragment of a ruined hour. A mental state capable of such conduct deserves the investigation of the psychologists. Why the work of preaching the gospel should develop in certain minds the disposition of a brigand, and break down all fine scruples of equity and honor, is one of the problems for the new century. The facts are clear and incontrovertible. There are men of intelligence and piety, who, when asked to go with an audience one half-hour, will invariably go with it twain and when asked to divide an hour with a brother minister, will greedily devour the first half of it, and take a huge bite out of the second, who will steal every moment they can wrap their tongue around, and then apologize to their outraged victim with the blandest of smiles. I did not realize how long I was speaking. A Christian worker who has had experience in the making of programs is inclined to think that if five speakers are wanted to grace an important occasion, it would be safer to trust five men chosen at random from the penitentiary to do unto one another, in the division of time, the thing that is right, than five eloquent clergymen taken from as many Christian pulpits. This reckless overriding of all the proprieties and restraints is indulged in sometimes by men whose praise is in many churches, but the more conspicuous the offender, the more lamentable the transgression. Men who would not stoop to filch moments have been known to steal people. Denominationalism has flooded the world with blessings, 
but by intensifying rivalry among religious bodies it has led to evils not a few. The undue multiplication of churches within narrow boundaries sets ministers into competition with one another, and a sensitive man of honor sometimes finds himself outdistanced by a clerical rogue who uses underhanded methods to swell the number of his flock. Ecclesiastical fences are no longer high, and some men are adepts in the knack of inducing sheep to jump from one field into another. Sometimes the work of proselyting is carried on slyly and with great adroitness. At other times it is prosecuted with boldness in the full glare of noon. Even men of dignity and undoubted piety have engaged in the unhallowed business, displaying among many graces of the spirit the strategy of the kidnapper and the cunning of the fox. But whenever and wherever and however and by whomsoever the work of building up one church by the tearing down of another is attempted, the minister who lends a hand is guilty of one of the most contemptible and dastardly of all ministerial sins. What shall it profit a man to build up his church membership and lose his own soul? This lack of principle sometimes crops out in a wanton disregard of the sacredness of a promise. The word of a minister should be as binding as his bond. Whatever he says he will do, he should perform. Wherever he promises to go, he ought to go. If the men who stand in the community as the anointed priests of conscientiousness and good faith say one thing and do another, to many men the pillared firmament will seem only rottenness and earth's base built on stubble. A minister of the gospel is under everlasting obligations to be a man of his word. But it is at this crucial point that an occasional minister falls. There are men who are swift to promise and slow to fulfill. Invitations are accepted and then forgotten. Engagements are entered into only to be broken. With smiling assurances and fatal alacrity, more work is promised than can possibly be performed. It is men of shining gifts who are most likely to be thus ensnared. Because talented they are incessantly and urgently importuned to give their time and strength to plausible and needy suitors. Because thus pressed they say yes. After the invitation has been accepted there comes a new invitation, and this, for the moment more attractive than the first, crowds out its predecessor, only to be shoved aside by a third invitation yet to come. Not a thought is given to the havoc thus wrought at the eleventh hour in the programs of innocent people who supposed it was safe to rely upon the promise of a clergyman. Not a tear is shed over the mortification and ache of disappointed hearts. Fires of resentment are thus sometimes kindled, in which one's primal faith in human nature is in danger of being consumed. One man of this stamp does more to undermine confidence in Christianity and its defenders than the arguments of a legion of infidels. His sermons will be but sounding brass and clanging cymbal to every man with whom he has dealt unfairly, or to whom the story of his perfidy has been brought. When a minister gives his promise, let him keep it. Action must evermore keep pace with word. An engagement once made should be scrupulously fulfilled unless the Lord God Almighty raises up obstacles which no human ingenuity or strength can possibly surmount. If a minister cannot be a saint or a hero, he can at least be decent. End of chapter 20